Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Good afternoon, everyone, or good, good morning. Yeah, Rory Bellina in the uh, studio today. Conrad Meyer, another edition of Health Law Talks. Afternoon, everyone, or good morning, depending on where you're listening. All right, and this is uh, this is sort of a special edition, I guess. Very timely, another timely podcast on a on a previous podcast we did on vaccine mandates. Yes. Yeah, so today's topic is going to be. OSHA's emergency temporary standard. It was announced last week by President Biden, and it's going through a little bit of an administrative period, but we expect it to roll out shortly. And we know this is a, we've already gotten calls on it um, from some of our clients, so we thought it'd be a good topic for today's episode. Absolutely. So, well, first off the bat, what is an emergency temporary standard? What is that? Sure. So, if, if, if you're not familiar with what an emergency temporary standard or ETS is, um, we had one come out, I believe it was earlier or later in the year, last it was, year. It was June. It was June. It was June. Okay. Of this year, actually. Yeah. You're right. The years are blurring together. But it was <laughs> That's what for, happens when you get locked down, right? That one was for healthcare workers. And basically, it's the, uh, the government takes authority under OSHA to put into these emergency standards. And there's kind of this two-pronged criteria that they rely on one being that there's a grave danger and that there's an emergency standard necessary to protect. So we're going to dive into a little bit of what that looks like and, and how this power has come to be and how it was used for healthcare workers and how it, now it's going to be used for employers of 100 or more. So we're going to talk about those different criteria as well. Now, for those of you who are the, the legal eagles or who like to research and dive right into it, you can find a lot of this stuff uh, online. Uh, the uh, the citation for the ETS that was adopted in June, 29 Code of Federal Regulations, Part 1910, Subpart U. And you could check out um, 29 USC, United States Code 655 C1, uh, to see the emergency standard or the emergency temporary standard that OSHA must meet. So for those of you who like to research, that's there. Uh, so sure. very, I mean, we're seeing on the news every day, very unpopular with some folks, very popular with others. Uh, Rory, what, what, what hurdles do you see coming up? Uh, or what, how about this? What challenges do you see for OSHA with respect to mandating uh, this and, and, and maybe relate it back to the healthcare one that was done in June. I, I see a few, and, and we see more and more employers are, are getting together or unions are getting together to, to challenge this. So, you know, I, I think it'd be beneficial to our listeners to give a little bit of background of, you know, what OSHA is, what this ETS is, and then and kind of walk through That's a good idea. how this is going. So, yeah. you know, over the, the, the 10,000 foot view is that. You know, OSHA is this administration that was put together by the government and stands for Occupational Safety and Health. So they're the agency that essentially regulates a lot of work-type um, requirements, rules, regulations. So for you take a construction site, for example, OSHA says that you have to wear a hard hat or a certain color neon vest. If, you're, um, if you work hospital, for example, if you mop the floors, you have to put out the little slippery when wet uh, cones. And, and the, the, the goal behind it is to have this standardized set of rules to where there's workplace safety. And so your 
employees are safe and people that are on the premise are safe. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what OSHA is. Uh, very that's very loose description of what it is, but that's what it is overall. So, Conrad, I know that that you and I have looked into this, but OSHA took um, their power and mandated these or allowed the vaccinations to be required for healthcare workers earlier in the year. And, and that so, was back in June of, of this summer, uh, because and they used the grave danger language to, to give them the authority to do that to healthcare workers because of the COVID numbers, and especially with the rise of the Delta variant. And you mentioned the grave danger. So, you know, like we said, OSHA has these rules and regulations that I gave the example of the hard hats, the neon vests, the, the slippery when wet signs. But that typically takes... That's just for regulatory stuff. That's just regular everyday operations. It does. And, and to get those rules into place, a lot of it, it takes a lot of time takes public comment it's a slow process so wait real quick let's let me let me stop pause hit the pause button let's for our listeners tell them what normally in in, in any kind of rulemaking situation from the federal government uh from an agency of the federal government how does that from the again ten thousand foot view right how does that look what does that look like for the layperson so the, that the, the people can understand how rulemaking occurs from an agency standpoint? Sure. So it typically will start with an, an agency or, you know, a group of members within the agency, or they'll get suggestions. So I'll go back to the hard hat example that we keep going. Someone says, or someone with, within the agency says, look, if you're on a construction site of this size or of this specification, everyone should be required to wear a hard hat. So they have that general uh, policy in place. So OSHA will look at it and they will look at it and say, okay, we think this is good. Let's take some, let's see, you know, what kind of hard hats are we going to mandate? Do they have to be a certain strength, a certain quality? And then let's go to the public. Let's open this up for public comment. So that's when you'll get people from different industries, whether they're the... So there'll be a preliminary rule. Correct. And then it'll be published on the website or in the internet. And there's a period of time where they allow for public comment. And the okay. public comment period allows people that are actually on the ground saying this rule is ridiculous that it's going to slow down productivity or these hard hats are too expensive or the manufacturer can't get us to them so it gives time for the government agency to work out the the wrinkles and they'll take all those comments and they'll respond to them typically and they'll say okay well here's our interim rule and they'll put into place another rule and there'll they'll be a period of that time and then ultimately it goes up the, the, the chain of command and gets approved and put into a regulation. And so, or a final rule. A final rule, correct. Right. And so that's kind of the, the outline of, of how these rules come into place. Now, in a normal situation. Normal situation. What's the process from, let's say, preliminary rule all the way through comment period, interim, and final? What, what would you say that? From that? what I've seen, I mean, you're lucky to get it done in a year. Um, from from these rules that I've seen, it, it's it's a it's a slow process because it goes from uh, we're going back to the, the hard hat example. It goes from one agency to another. Then they then they'll they'll talk about the you know the engineering side or the design side. It, it bounces around between agencies. Then they'll do public comment for typically at least sixty days. They might make some revisions. It has to be published. It has to be noticed. It, it's it's a very slow process. And and then and when the final rule is published. How often does it take, or, or how often does the agency, and I guess it varies by agency, sure. but do they normally give entities grace, you know, to, to comply? A grace period. Yeah, so typically there's a grace period, and depending on when the final rule comes out, a lot of times it's, it's six months or it could be the beginning of the next calendar year where they say, okay, here's the new rule. If you're on a work site, you need this hard hat. 
but we're not going to make it effective until January 1 of next year. So it's, a, it's sort of a lengthy process. It is. It is. It's very lengthy. It's very bureaucratic. It, it takes time to go through to get these, these put in place. Guess how long, guess how long OSHA gave to implement, even on a, on a, on a, on a, on a comment period, the emergency temporary standard for the healthcare workers back in June? Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. 15 days. That's ridiculous. And wait, short. wait. It was 15 days after publication. There was hardly any time for comment period. And then some, some, and that was, and that was not just for comment. That was for compliance. That's, that's very short. And, and just to go into a little explanation of why that shows short is when these rules come out, they're very complex and they're very detail oriented. And a lot of them have very, you know, minute criteria in them. I get and that. It, it takes time for your agency or your attorneys or your lobbyists to look at this and say, this isn't going to work. But if I'm a hospital... You've got no time to respond You have zero this. time to respond to this. Right. And then, and then not only that, it, you know, I know that some, some entities were allowed 30 days, others only 15 days. So now we have this next, you know, on the vaccine mandate for the 100 employees or more, that's coming out using the same uh, criteria under the ETS... Mm-hmm on this quote grave danger and 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 again i mean think about just those two words grave danger what does that mean how is that how is it defined do we have any right. any any case law that will discuss that and and you know what they're going to do they're going to parade all the covid numbers you know right. all over the place right. from the delta variant from the day this started and they're going to say see everybody it's this is a grave danger and there's there's two criteria that, that you mentioned it's that employees are exposed to a grave danger from substances or agents determined to be toxic or uh, physically harmful or from new hazards and, big word, and that such emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from such dangers. So I think you really have to break those apart and say, okay, the first thing, is COVID-19 considered a grave danger? I think you'll get people that can rightfully so argue that on both sides. They could say, Yes, it's causing hospitalizations, deaths, complications. It is a grave danger. I think you can also find people to say it's a danger, but we have vaccinations. We have the social distancing protocol. We have masks in place. We have ways to fight this. Is it grave enough to take this sort of action? So, you know, and and, and we'll kind of walk through this, but essentially the government is saying, yes, it's a grave danger. So we go to step two. This is necessary to protect employees from such danger. And that those are the two criteria that are going to be the basis for the challenge. I think the grave danger is going to be the the, the one that's challenged more that, that this might fall on. Well, I think I guess the next question is, is, I mean, when you when you're looking at the data that's going to be thrown on the screen by OSHA and, and, and whoever's, you know, defending OSHA on this on this rulemaking. What is that data accurate? Where they get the data? I mean, I've, I've, I mean, since this whole thing started, I've heard so many different things about how we collected data. Sure, what's counted sure. as a COVID death? What's uh, how do we, you know, monitor and collect COVID positive tests? Right, and right. it's all changed from from day one until the present. So I mean, it's constantly changing. It's, it's it's to me, it's is it really accurate? Right, and and you can get these data sets and make multiple conclusions from what you see in them. So this is definitely going to get challenged. Is it in in ETS? So, you know, I think for the conversation of this podcast, you know, let's, let's just take it where it is right now. 
It's coming out. It's going to be challenged, obviously. Well, they haven't issued the rules yet. There's not even, the not even a yet. preliminary rule yet. But I think it's important to talk about, let's assume that this goes forward right. and, and is finalized as is. So what would happen? So first of all, who does this apply to? Well, that, and that's a good question because, uh, you know, it applies to the 100 employees or more. Correct. Public right? or private. Public or private. But also you have – there are – you would figure it applies to every state in the land, but, but there are states already mm-hmm. that have state-mandated uh, rules. Correct. You know, so with these states – It'll, to me, it's kind of going to be like a HIPAA situation back right. when, remember HIPAA? Yes. You know, so if the state rule is, is similar or more stringent than the OSHA ETS. That applies. That applies. Correct. And then if not, then you'll. Then OSHA applies. Then, then OSHA right. ETS right. applies. And I think important, an important thing to point out, especially with so many people working virtually and working from different locations, is that this rule was very clear and it said that it's not location-based. So if you work for a branch of a bank or a branch of or some you know entity like that, as long as your entity has 100 or more, this applies to you. Even if you have an office, you're in the little office in well, New that, Orleans that has five people, but New York has 1,000, this applies to you. So let's take fast food, for example. Sure. Franchisees, right? Yes. Or even in, you know. They, they might have different entities, right? Right. Does that collectively get added because they're all a, 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 a certain fast food franchisee? I mean, does it collectively? I, I don't I know. Don't, and I don't think we know. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, you know, a corporate criteria question. We don't know because the franchise model is a great example. There's a lot of franchises. And if you are, if you have five employees underemployed under your LLC, but right. you're ultimately on the, under the umbrella of a, corporate franchise does that apply to you it, it's it's unclear right now well i guess, I guess another thing too rory that that kind of kind of gets me is 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 well okay so what's the message we're sending here uh, I mean, basically what we just talk, talked about before the show uh basically no matter what happens it's going to be like like everyone's getting the vaccine correct i mean I, that, that's, I, the, that's the, the boxing in every somehow it's going to come I, to I, that i think we're seeing as days and weeks go on and on it started with the goals to get the healthcare workers the elderly and the teachers vaccinated then now, if they, you would have talked I me, mean, we did the show what six weeks ago on the vaccine I think so six, yeah four to six weeks ago was it middle of august yep you know yep. or beginning of august and we didn't have this wasn't out, and, and we were talking about: or could it be mandated for? Could it could it be mandated? And well, now then, we know the answer. Yeah, yeah, and and I think as time goes on, you're going to keep seeing as as I don't want to say vaccinations are at a standstill or anything like that, but as vaccinations aren't getting to the numbers that the government wants them to be at, you're going to see the government finding these creative ways. To mandate more and more Americans to get vaccinated, and this is probably going to be the the biggest swoop. If you're trying to get, you know, a huge chunk kind of in one rule, I think this is the one that's probably going to accomplish it the most. With the exception of the postal service, right? Right. right. And and guess what? Did you realize? And the Congress, and Congress, yeah. and the judicial branch as well. Yep. There are some there are some carvings to this already, which. I wonder how that played out. That yeah, that could be that could be another topic for another. That could time. be another topic for another show. Um, it, but it, it's got some it's got some serious implications, and they break down you know violations if you violate it, and you're it could, and it's not really defined, but a serious violation could be thirteen thousand dollars per violation, or a willful violation is one hundred thirty six thousand. So you're talking real dollars that could cripple 
a, a medium to large size business with a hundred or more Wait, and that's employees per violation. Per violation. So what's I mean? I guess the question is: is what's considered willful, right? Right. And if you have a company and you say, "I'm not going to follow this OSHA ETR what, ETS," what happens? Does that mean that every person that doesn't follow it? That's a willful violation of $136,000. I mean, do you think the government, I mean, we haven't seen the rulemaking yet, but I mean, is it in per individual? So if I've got 500 employees and we're saying we're not doing it, is that 500 willful violations? And, and, the, and I think that that's a question that would come out in the comments, but OSHA has already said that they are not going to provide an opportunity to comment on this, which is, I don't know if that's ever happened before. It seems very strange. I have never, in, a, in the rulemaking thing, and you and I have been doing I've been doing this 20 plus years in healthcare. Sure. I've never seen a rulemaking like this where the trigger was so fast sure. and the there was no comment period. Sure. And, and I think it, it, you know, it comes down, it, it, it continues to develop. So if you're the employer, now you have to follow this rule. Um, or you have to have weekly testing. Let's talk about, you know, one thing in there is that the, the requirement says you have to provide reasonable paid time off for the vaccination and for side effects. So imagine you're a huge corporation and you need these employees available. Now they have to get vaccinated or tested weekly. But if they get vaccinated, they get paid time off to get that vaccine and for those side effects. I mean, you're going to have to really be creative in how you schedule your employees to get vaccinated so you have staff to continue to operate. Well, again, and, and, and I think it's, it's and, and, and I think the president came out and said that it it's applies to 100 employees or more, but it was either get vaccinated or have that weekly test, right? And we don't know who's going to cover the cost of the test. Well, we got the, who's going to cover the cost of the test? Hmm? What evidence do you have to show that you had the test? Correct. What evidence do you need to show that you have been vaccinated? I mean, do, do, I mean, aside from your vaccine card, you know, what else, you know, I mean, what else do you show? Right. Um, and then, you know, so there's a lot of things in limbo that we just don't know because we haven't seen the rules. Yeah, I think that this this has this ETS has brought out many more questions than we have answers to right now. And I know that I've already started to get questions on it. And a lot of it is we don't know until the final rule comes out. We don't know what it's going to be. So if you have an if you have a uh, uh, if you're an employer that has more than 100, 100 or more employees. I mean, these questions have got to be burning in your head. I mean, if, if you're not going to if you're not going to force this on your employees, mm-hmm. then who's going to pay for the testing? How are you going to schedule that? In, you know, just to comply with the ETS. So, right, right. I, I think a lot of questions still outstanding on on what I've seen is right. You know, warp speed right on yeah. this ETS. And there they, there is allowance for medical and religious exemptions. Um, but then that's going to require that weekly testing. So you could have a significant amount of your employees that need to go get tested weekly that they're, they're losing time in the office. Um, the costs associated with the testing, which we still don't know who's going to bear that cost. So like you said, there's a lot of unknowns with this. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how employers and big unions, you know, want to handle this. Well, I think I think from what I'm reading, they're going to wrap the healthcare ETS that was done in June into this. Right. And so, you know, recommendations that I think employers need to figure out, number one, are they going to comply with this or not? That's the very first thing. Sure. Um, how do you deal with people who work remotely? So, in yeah. other words, if you've got a sales force that's out all over the country, all over sure. the globe, how are you going to how are you going to confirm a COVID test right. from someone who's not, you know, local? Or what if you're a large company but a huge portion of your force work from home? Are they going to be required to get a vaccine when they're, they never step foot in an office? 
So then what about how, how to identify unvaccinated and vaccinated employees? How are you going to do that? You're going to line them up and say, show me your card? Or now you're going to have to start asking for medical and religious exemptions. So you're going to have to ask them, show me, show me a doctor's note that says why you can't get this, or tell me your religious reasoning. And, I mean, that's very personal information. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, a compliance officer? I mean, someone, you're going to have to have someone in compliance regulate, you know, some sort of policy and procedure for just getting the testing results. Right. So that you're complying with the ETS. And constantly tracking it. And everyone's week is going to fall on different times. It's not like you can just do all these on a Monday. It's going to be, it has to be a week from the prior test. So it, it administratively, I mean, if you have a, if you have a large company and your employees are not all vaccinated, it's going to be an administrative hurdle for you to, you're going to have to have someone that's very dedicated to this, to dealing with this testing. And then portion. again, other things too. I mean, if you're going to be, are you going to pay for the vaccines? You can have on-site vaccination clinics. Right. You can have on-site testing. Right. Uh, how do you set that up? Um, One thing that, that the ETS does not address is, what is considered vaccinated? Is it one shot? Is it two shots? Is it two shots plus three weeks when the shots are most effective? That's unclear as of right now, too. Nobody so, knows that. That's true. That's another, that's another thing that's, that's vague in this. So what do you do with employees who don't want to do this? I mean, what's the, what's the option? I mean, I, we saw the Texas case, right? right. Where, I mean, that was, that was national news, but I'm sure. sure it's happening all over the place where, where people are just getting fired. Is that is that the answer? I think uh, I think the employer is going to have to make the decision. Are they going to, you know, the employer could be more strict. The employer could say, you know, we're taking this OSHA guidance, but we're going to make it stricter. We're just going to say vaccine or, or bust, you know, vaccine or you're out. And that could be that because they I could see employers looking at this and saying, I don't want to deal with the testing portion. And I don't want to have to pay someone to just be a manager of COVID tests. I'm just going to make it you're either vaccinated or you're not an employee of this company anymore. So messages to employers, I mean, from my standpoint, you know, just from listening to this and mm-hmm. watching this from, you know, from a very, very important sure. eyes wide open gaze sure. here. Uh, I think employers need to absolutely monitor the OSHA guidance yeah. uh, to keep up to, up to speed as to what they're going to do. And then, and then also look at the CDC guidance, yep. see, see if they correlate, you know, with yep. this correlation to that. And uh, and keep on top of that. And also, the, you, you, now because this has come from the White House, you're going to have to monitor the executive order. Right. And what what is coming from the White House to determine uh, what are you going to need to do to comply? So Because that's going to feed into OSHA and then the CDC. All of them combined now. Yep. I mean, you have a lot more eyes on. Uh, to see if you're going to comply with these new ETS standards, and it's going to be a it's going to be a conversation that you have to have with your upper level upper level management and you know owners to decide how do you want to handle this, what policies do you want to put in place. Um, it's ever changing. I think we're going to have to do an update on this in a few weeks when we when we get this final rule and we could really dissect it. Absolutely. And, and look, I want to uh, thank everybody for listening today. This has been uh, a special edition of uh, Health Law Talks with respect to the uh, uh, ETS that's going to be coming out from OSHA real soon. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, please go ahead and, and make sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. Uh, you can do that anywhere on uh, Apple Podcast, I think on Spotify. And, uh, and tell us if you have any comments or if you have any questions or if you really want to just ask us to do certain topics, why don't you go ahead and give us an email? I'm going to leave you my email. It's a cm at shahardy.com. Rory? rbelina at shahardy.com. Send us an email if you like us. Tell us what you think. Tell us the good, the bad, the ugly. And if there's some topic you want us to hear uh, or talk about, please put it in, in the email. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website linked in the description below. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube linked in the description below. Thank you for listening.